Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. about 10 years of using a pulpit that I picked up at Goodwill. I just got myself a new pulpit this week. It spins. It's solid. And so I'm just saying, get ready for an amazing message. We got a new pulpit. So uh, let me just pray. So God, we do thank you for our kids and we do continue to pray a blessing on them. We thank you for your word. And um, I pray as the word of God is taught to our children. Um, that their hearts would receive that word, and as your word is preached here, that it might find root in our heart and bring about encouragement, edification, and equipping. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we get into the message, we're doing something different in this message. Um, uh, We're doing a, a series called The Battle, and there's going to be four messages in this series, and the fourth message will be next week. And uh, actually, sorry, that's the fifth message. And um, so next week, what we're going to do to close up this series, the final message in this series, it's going to be a question and answer time. And so throughout this series, we've been talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles, some of the things that we come against spiritually, the weapons of our warfare. And you may have questions about that, and we want it to be able to answer those questions. And so the way this is going to work is you have your communication card in your program. You can write your questions down and put them in one of the baskets at the front or at the back, hand them into the welcome table. Or you can message me through the week at Dennis at the BB church.com. You can get my email and email me your questions. And so next week, we will just take the time to answer questions. This is a topic that people have a lot of questions about. So if you could, please uh, submit your questions and we'll take time to answer them next week. So uh, in the early 2000s, 2002, 2004 um, time period, I made several trips over to Ukraine Uh, missions trips over to Ukraine, and what we would do when we went over is we would provide training for pastors who most of them had access, had had access to very little formal training, because of course it wasn't available under communism, and then in about the decade that followed communism, there still wasn't a lot of opportunities. So we would go and we would do these training courses for pastors, and the organization that I was with, instead of putting us up in, in hotels or someplace else, what they would do is they would allow us to stay in the homes of some of the leaders and some of the, the church people. And what was amazing is most uh, Ukrainians, they, they might have what's called a dacha, which is a small farm and a small cabin out in the country, but everybody lives in the city during the week, and they all live in these tall, drab, gray apartment buildings, completely stripped of any aesthetic, any beauty, any creativity, any color. It was just drab. It was a holdover from communism. But once you made your way into the apartments, into the homes of the Ukrainian people, this culture was vibrant. It was filled with joy and laughter and history. And so like you, I've been following the war between Russia and Ukraine, but with a little 
bit of special interest because I've been there a number of times and have friends there. Here stateside, one of the controversies about the Russia-Ukraine war is the amount of money that America is investing in the war. To this point, America has invested about $113 billion in that war, and much of that war, uh, money has been spent on weaponry. And no matter what your geopolitical views are, your financial views are, I think we can agree on two things. Number one is that the righteous outcome, God's heart in this conflict, would be for Ukraine to be able to defend and maintain their sovereignty. That this people group, this culture, would be able to have the freedom to be who God has called them to be. And secondly, no matter how they get their hands on weapons or who provides those weapons, that weapons really matter. And if you know anything or study the course of combat and the history of combat, that you realize that weaponry equals victory. For the most part, that's the rule of war. He who has the greatest weapons, the most weapons, wins the war. There's a, a few exceptions to that, but that's generally the rule of war. Weaponry equals victory. Today we're continuing our series, The Battle, and last week I began a two-part message about our weaponry. The weaponry that you and I have been provided by God for the battle and for the war that we are in. The war that you and I face every day against the spiritual forces, against Satan, against demonic forces, against philosophies, against death against sin, this very real battle that exists requires very real weaponry. I'm going to read this morning the same scripture that I read last week, but it's worth reading again. This comes from 2 Corinthians 10. It says this, For, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. So last week I talked about how in combat and in most athletic competitions, there's kind of two sides uh, of, of those endeavors, and one is the defensive side, and so you have defensive tools, defensive weaponry, defensive maneuvers, defensive people, defensive positions, and then you have offensive maneuvers, offensive players, offensive positions. And last week, we talked about the defensive weaponry that God has provided us to be able to stand, to be able to be in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a battle, and just be able to stand in the middle of that and say, I shall not be moved. And when everyone else is going crazy and when everybody else is running around, the bombs are falling, the fire is raging, you are just able to rest and be at peace. And He's equipped us with the weaponry for that. Today we're going to talk about our offensive weapons, understanding this, that whenever you start talking about going on offense, it takes things up a notch. It gets a little bit more serious. It gets a little bit more intense when you start talking about offense. If it's, it's one thing to say, you know what? I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm just going to come to church and sit in my seat and I'm going to just read my Bible and I'm just going to live a very peaceful life and not bother anyone and I'm just going to enjoy the good things of God. And that's fantastic. That's very much a part of the Christian life is to be able to live 
a simple and a peaceful life. But we're also called to go to war. Can't always be in that defensive position. For most of us men, we probably grew up listening to our fathers tell us, hey, don't ever start a fight, oh, but finish a fight. Right? There was that idea of just defend yourself, be at peace, but, but don't really go around initiating engagement. But when Paul talks about the war that we're in, that's not an option for us. It's not an option for us to be Switzerland in this war. To just go, you know what, we're, we're just going to be pacifists, we're just going to check out of this war, we're just going to keep to ourselves. The Bible calls us to be engaged in this battle. That we're called to go to war, that we're called to set the captives free, that we're called to find out the places where, where captives are being held and, and go set them free. We're called to proclaim liberty in places that is robbing liberty from people. We're called to do that. We're called to do acts of aggression, like Paul says here, pulling down of strongholds. Those are all intentional engagements. And even though we're more comfortable in our defensive posture, we are called to have the courage to be offensive. One of the more famous moments in the ministry of Jesus Christ was the inauguration of His ministry, the the day His ministry began. And what happened on that day is He walked into the temple. He was 30 years of age. And in the temple, they would have these shelves. And on the shelves were these scrolls, these parchment scrolls that somebody by hand had written what we now call the Old Testament or parts of the Old Testament. And Jesus went over to those shelves. Being a rabbi, He had the right to do this. And He sets a scroll down and He reads from the book of Isaiah, which was written about 750 years before He was born. And he reads a scripture from Isaiah that is what we now call a messianic prophecy. A prophecy that was written about Jesus 750 years before he was actually born. And we see the words that he read there, and we recognize these words as the inauguration of his ministry. But today I want you to hear these words for what they really were, which is actually a declaration of war. Jesus began his ministry by declaring war on Satan. This is what he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners of war. So what he is saying is he is saying, Satan, I am coming after those that you have held captive. Those that you have held in bondage, I am coming after. I am coming to break bonds, to break chains, and to release people. Those places that you have set your foot and that you own now, I am coming to take those places back. He says this, He has sent me to release, uh, to announce release to the prisoners of war and recover the sight of the blind and to send away free those whom tyranny has crushed. And what was Jesus was saying in this moment is, Satan, get ready, the war is about to begin. I am about to come and take back what has been lost. But... It is critical for us to understand that when Jesus stood up and he read these words, that he wasn't just making a personal declaration of war. He wasn't just saying, I'm coming after you, Satan. What he was saying is he was making a prophetic proclamation. He was saying, Satan, I am coming after everything that you have stolen. And behind me is coming 12 men, my disciples, who are going to follow this. And they are going to bring the second war of the offensive attack. And behind those 12 men, I've got 72 others that I'm going to train up. People that had not even gathered around Jesus yet. In this moment, he was prophetically making the declaration, Satan, get ready because we are going to be coming in waves. 
I'm coming after these things. My disciples are coming after these things. My followers are coming after these things. And in that same vein, what he was saying is then just wait. Because in 2023, an army called Brownsburg Vineyard Church is coming. And they're going to continue this battle. And they're going to set captives free. And they're going to proclaim liberty to those whom tyranny has crushed. That's what he was saying when he stood up and began his ministry. The war is about to begin. And it's not going to stop until every square inch of this battlefield belongs to the Lord. And what followed this moment was Jesus went out from the synagogue that day and for the next three years He faced down the enemy. The next three years, every time He came across somebody who was demonized and possessed with demons, He set them free. Every time He came across someone whose body and life had been racked with sickness and sin, He brought freedom to them. He tore down strongholds. He walked into the temple where people were, were, were charging others money in order to have access to God. And He, he turned over those tables. It was an act of war. And that's what, what followed His life. And what I want us to understand this morning as it relates to this battle and the offensive weapons that we're going to be talking about is the reality of this ongoing battle. It is imperative, absolutely imperative, for us to understand that every single person in this world that has not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, every single person in this uh, world that has not met Jesus Christ, has not received the gift of salvation, at this moment is being held captive by the grip in the hand of Satan, and is being pulled into hell. That's the reality. And whether that person is your neighbor, your family member, your child, or somebody in, in a foreign country that has never heard the gospel, the reality is there are people in this world right now who have not heard the message of Jesus Christ and because of that are held captive to Satan. And it is our job, we have been called, to set the captive free. We have been called to say, wait a second, you don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live in a prisoner. You don't have to live under possession. You don't have to live in darkness. You can be set free. We are called to set the captives free. But it's not just those who have not heard the message of Jesus Christ. It's not just the captives of this war, but there are casualties of this war. There are people in our lives and people who walk through those doors every Sunday morning who are casualties of the war who have lived their life and who have experienced the pain of this war, who walk in here on a Sunday morning limping and bleeding and broken because of the consequences of decisions that they've made and the access that Satan has into their life because of those decisions or the consequences of decisions that other people have made and how that has caused them to be in pain. And so every Sunday morning, people walk in here as walking casualties of this war. And every time you go shopping and every time you go walking through your neighborhood, there are people all around you who are casualties of this war. And you and I are called to bring healing and to bring comfort and to bring salvation to those people. And that's why we've been given offensive weapons. So you and I have been called to use the weapons that we have to bring freedom to the captive and healing to the casualties of this war. One of the kind of foundational sayings in the Vineyard Church is everyone gets to play. And that saying everyone gets to play is, is really in relationship to the ministry and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they're not just reserved for a select group of people. But you could just as easily take that statement, everyone gets to play, and you could turn it around to say everyone gets to go to war. Because that's the truth of it. 
The truth of it is every one of us gets to go to war. Every one of us has been equipped. Every believer has been equipped, so every believer needs to be engaged. And God is calling you today to do battle. He's calling you today to to recognize the places around you where captives are being held. This is a very real thing in our lives. Many of you probably have already seen the movie Sound of Freedom. Gwen and I went yesterday to see Sound of Freedom. Right now in the world today, there are millions and millions of people literally, literally being taken into captivity for the sex slave industry. They said in that movie that today there are more slaves, more people being held captive today than at any time in history. We are living in a world where people are being held captive. Literally. We watch the destruction that is happening to the sexuality of our kids, and we see bodies being maimed, irreparably maimed. Somebody has to rise up and say, we have to save these people. We've got to proclaim liberty. Because if we don't, they're going to be lost and lost forever. But even in a practical way in your own life, you know of family members and friends who do not know the salvation of God, who are living in pain and living in darkness. And so the option to just play defense, the option to just enjoy the benefits that come and the security that comes from being in God, that option is not available to us. We have been called to do battle. And so today, I just want to share with you some of the weapons that God has equipped us with to do battle. And each and every person in this room has these weapons. And the first one is the weapon of authority. Weapons of authority. For those who have been watching the Russia and Ukraine war about a month ago, or four or five weeks ago, there was just an amazing international event. Uh, in the in the war, you have these professional mercenaries, the Wagner Group, and they are hired by Russian uh, by Russian state to go around the world and just do battle. They're just like hired guns, and so there a conflict arose between the Wagner Group, the hired guns, and the actual Russian military. And right in the middle of this international war between Ukraine and Russia, you almost had a civil war, a coup d'état, where the Wagner Group was marching on Moscow, ready to take over the country. And what was at stake was who's in charge, who's running this war, who's running this military. And we just had almost had an unprecedented kind of double war, a war inside the war. Fortunately for us, as Christians, there is no ambiguity about who's in charge. There's no ambiguity about where the authority lies and who has the authority. One of the most important scriptures in the Bible are the last words that Jesus spoke before ascending into heaven. When he commissioned, he gave what is called the Great Commission to the disciples. And in the Great Commission, he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And what he was saying in those words, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What he was saying is, listen, you have jurisdictional authority no matter where you go. Wherever you set your foot, whatever neighborhood, 
whatever grocery store, whatever office, whatever classroom our kids walk into, whatever country you go to, the minute you put your foot there, you have jurisdictional authority. There's no authority spiritually in that place greater than what you have. And it doesn't matter who you stand before, whether it's kings or queens or presidents or prime ministers, if you're Canadian, then you have jurisdictional authority. That is what he meant when he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the reason why this issue of authority is so important is because as we go out from our safe place, as we we leave the security of our defense bubble and we go out and we engage the war, we are going to run into resistance. We are going to run into forces that will come against us. We will run into entities that are opposed to the mission that you and I have been called to carry out. We will face spiritual forces. We will face philosophies and mindsets that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We will face deception. We will be talking to people and their eyes will be glazed over and they just won't be able to perceive what we're saying. And there's going to be something behind that. We're going to face demonic activity, real spiritual forces that have established their lives and established themselves in the lives of people. Real demonic forces that have established themselves in communities because of the sins in that community uh, have established themselves in geographic areas because of what has happened in that place. It, it struck me yesterday as, as I was seeing the statistics that America is, is the primary consumer in the sex slave industry. And we just finished celebrating July 4th. And, and I, I'm, I'm proud myself now to be an American, and I think it's great to be patriotic. But at some point, at some point, the church has to fall on their knees and say, God, forgive our land. Forgive us, God, for being the number one consumer in the sex save industry. And God, would you stop? Would you stop the implications of that? Would you, would you build a breach and build a wall against what that's going to mean for us? What are the spiritual implications of that sin upon our nation? We're going to face things like that. And so authority is critical for us to, to understand. You and I have the authority to take what has already happened and make it a reality. That's what we do. We go to places and we go, hey, wait a second, Jesus Christ has victory here. Hey, wait a second, Jesus has already taken care of this. And we just extend that wherever we go. One of my favorite examples of somebody who understood authority, interestingly enough, wasn't from the New Testament, but the Old Testament. And in the New Testament is where we really should understand authority because that's what Jesus came to do. But in the Old Testament, you had King David, David and Bathsheba, David and Goliath. And and David was a really unique character because there was a lot of um, connection between David and Jesus. He was kind of a forerunner of Jesus. There was a nexus between, between David and Jesus. He was just a unique guy. He was a man after God's own heart. So he kind of understood things and knew things that were before their time. And if you remember from your Sunday school days, there was a time where David went down into a valley and he faced Goliath. And this battle had nothing to do with weapons and had everything to do with authority. So when David faced off against Goliath, he said this. He said, you come against me with the sword, the spear, and the javelin. Those are all carnal weapons. Remember when Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So David said, Goliath, I have no idea what you're doing here, buddy. Because you showed up to a gunfight with knives. 
You thought this was a carnal battle. Then he goes on to say, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of spiritual weapons. He says, I've got something that you don't have in that authority. Now, little history tidbit here. Squirt guns weren't invented till the 1890s. So this is a historically inaccurate uh, uh, thought that I have, but it's worthwhile. Had David gone down to face Goliath, not with a sling and five smooth stones, but instead he would have faced Goliath with a squirt gun, I believe that he would have squirted his little gun, and somehow the God who created the world would have taken that little stream of water, would have miraculously turned it into some tidal wave of water that would have hit Goliath in the nose and caused him to drown. Somehow, David was going to win that battle whether he had a squirt gun, whether he had a sling and five stones, whether he had a Nerf gun. I don't care what he had because it wasn't about the carnal weapon that was in his hand. It was about the authority that he had. And so what we learned from David is that we have this weapon of authority that allows us to stand, as we sung this morning, in front of any giant and say, I have jurisdictional authority here. Last week I said that one of our defensive weapons was having confidence in who God was and who we are. And if we're confident that God is good, then we don't need to run around looking other places for what God promises to provide us. And if we understand that we are children of God, then we don't need to run around trying to earn or prove God's favor because we're His children. Similarly, with the weapon of authority, if we are confident in our authority, then we don't need to run away from battle. We don't need to run away from giants. We don't need to bury our head in the sand and and not face the things. We can stand in front of any giant. And whether that's something going on in a person's life, or whether that's something going on in our community, or whether that's something that is going on nationally or internationally, we can have authority to say, Our God reigns. And we can stand in that place of authority. Second weapon that we have is the weapon of discernment. And earlier I said that you know weaponry equals victory, and maybe second only to weaponry, the other most important uh, component of victory in combat is that of intel. Who has the best information? Who knows the most? Whoever has the best intel is the one who's going to win the battle. Because if you know what the enemy is going to do, you can kind of beat them to the punch, right? If you know the enemy's playbook, if you know the enemy's plans, you you can be there ahead of time. If you know what the enemy is going to do, you can plan a counterattack. You can be prepared for that. You you can build a defense system against an attack that you know that's coming. And some of the, the greatest war movies or war novels, if you're into that stuff, some of the greatest war movies are all about intel, all about spies and espionage and kind of both sides trying to figure out ahead of time what the other side is doing. So it's absolutely critical to have this information. And what the Bible tells us is not only do we have divine weapons for the pulling down of strongholds, but we also have divine intel. We have access to information that is not carnal. We have access to information that is not rational or reasonable. We have access to miraculous information because we serve a God who is omniscient. Big fancy word, and all that word omniscient means is having infinite awareness, understanding, and insight. So we serve a God who knows everything, 
But more importantly than him knowing everything, he says, I'm going to share all of that information with you. I'm going to share with you the information that you need to know, the information that you wouldn't otherwise need to know. And there's an important point to make here, an important theological point to make that sometimes there's some confusion on, and that is this. Of all of the qualities that God possesses that Satan doesn't, of all of the abilities that God possesses that Satan doesn't, one of them is omniscience. Whereas God knows everything, Satan doesn't. Whereas God knows your heart, the intentions of your heart, and the thoughts of your mind, and He knows everything simultaneously that's going on everywhere, Satan doesn't have that knowledge. And sometimes we think he does. But it's important for us to understand that we actually have knowledge and intel that Satan doesn't have. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you could read the gifts of the Holy Spirit very much from the lens and the perspective of uh, warfare and weaponry. And when you read that list of spiritual gifts, you can see the, each one of those spiritual gifts as being a weapon of our warfare. And two of the gifts that are mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 12 are the words of knowledge and the discerning of spirits. Two separate spiritual gifts. Words of knowledge and discerning of spirits. And what words of knowledge are is it simply as if you were sitting at a desk, you're some commander or general in the army, and all of a sudden a yellow manila envelope ends up on your desk and you open it up and there are black and white photos of all of the information about the enemy. A word of knowledge is simply God sharing something with you about a person or a situation that you would have no way of knowing otherwise. It's an incredible gift. It's a gift each and every one of us should pray for. Generally, we should pray for, but specifically when we're dealing with people or when we're dealing with situations, we should pray, God, would you give me a word of knowledge? Would you give me access to intel that I wouldn't otherwise know? The other gift that is listed there in 1 Corinthians 12 is a discerning of spirits, which allows us to know in any particular person or any particular situation what demonic activity is going on there. What is happening in this situation? Where and how are the spiritual forces involved in this? In the very first message, I said that understanding spiritual warfare means understanding that there's more going on than what meets the eye. And so sometimes when you're dealing with an individual, there's something more going on than just what you can see. And being able to understand that helps you to be able to do battle. So this past week, or within the last week and a half, I had a pers- personal conflict with someone. And, and you, you ever have one of those conflicts where, like, you know, when it happens, it's like, oh man, where did that come from? Like, I wasn't expecting that to happen. And so this personal conflict happened, and, and there were kind of two options at that point. The one option is I could have fought that conflict, engaged with that conflict from a carnal point of view. I could have, from a carnal point of view, said, I have a much better argument. I have a much better position in this conflict. I'm, I'm the one that's right here. You're the one that's wrong. I, I could have fought that war that way. And I could have won the war, but I would have lost the relationship. So I stepped back and I said, okay, I'm not going to fight this battle with carnal weapons. God, what do you want me to know about what's going on here? And as I stepped back and I took a breath, then God was able to show me what was going on in this person's life. And knowing what was going on in this person's life, it allowed me to reposture myself. It allowed me to change my attitude and change my approach and change my strategy so that then I was able to pray into that relationship so that by the time we had a follow-up discussion, 
it was like night and day. Their whole character and demeanor and attitude completely changed, and that conversation ended in peace. And so being able to step back from situations and say, God, would you give me discernment? So as you're praying for people, and as you're dealing with situations, if you have kids who are going through some conflict, if you have kids going in a direction that you don't want them to go, if you're sensing something going on in your marriage or in your business uh, or, or in the lives of people that you're related to, just take a moment before just rushing in blindly without the intel and, and just shooting at everything that moves. Step back. Say, God, would you give me a word of knowledge about what's going on in this person's life? Would you give me some discernment to know what, 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 are the, what are the pieces that I need to be aware of? In a couple of weeks, we're going to start promoting what we call the School of Kingdom Ministry, which is a fantastic, absolutely world-class training uh, system uh, and class. And one of the best parts of School of Kingdom Ministry is they talk about praying for people to receive healing, and sometimes in praying for people to receive healing, you don't necessarily have direct access to what's going on in a person's life. There's more going on than just some physical infirmity, or, or maybe it's uh, an emotional woundedness, and, and there's more going on there. And so they analogize praying for people as kind of playing a game of pickup sticks, if you remember that game from your childhood. That sometimes when we are praying for someone, sometimes when we're dealing with a situation, we might know what the core issue is, but we don't know all of the corollary things that are related to that issue. We might not know the, the wounds that that person has experienced in their life. We might not know the lies that they believed in their life. We might not know the, the vows and the unhealthy soul ties that they've made with other people. We might not know the anger and the bitterness in their life that has kind of led them to this place of pain. We might not know the, the, the fear and the, the anxiety and the other things that are going on in their life that are kind of building a structure around this thing. And so sometimes when you're praying for somebody's healing, whether that's physical or whether that is emotional, or you're praying for somebody to be released from a stronghold in their life, it's necessary to know, hey, what is going on? What else has happened in this person's life that has attached itself to this present situation? And where the gift of discernment ends, it allows you to say, oh, this is what's going on. Let's deal with that first. And oh, this is going on. Let's deal with that. And oh, when they were eight years old, they were rejected and abandoned by a parent. And let's deal with some emotional wounding. And oh, when, you know, when they were 15, they were abused and someone took advantage of them. So let's, let's deal with that. And oh, for a while they got involved in this weird religion or they, they experimented with some spiritual stuff and that opened up the door to Satan having a foothold in their life. Let's do some renouncing and let's deal with that. And you remove piece by piece all of the corollary things so that you can get to the core issue. And so we have that gift and we need to learn how to use it. And so I would encourage you to pause and pray before you speak. Pause and wait even before you pray so that your prayers are actually targeted at the things that need to be targeted at. Here's the last thing that I'll share with you today, and that is the weapon of the Word. The weapon of the Word. One of the other most famous scriptures that talk about this whole warfare is Ephesians 6, and it talks about the armor of God. And for the most part, the armor of God are all defensive instruments, but the one offensive uh, instrument that is listed there in Ephesians 6 is the sword. 
And it says this in Ephesians 6.17, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this right here is an offensive weapon in the life of every believer. The Bible, knowing the Bible, knowing your Scripture, being able to, to, to quote this thing and to memorize this thing and having access in your brain to this thing is an offensive weapon. And one of the best examples of the Word of God being used as a sword, again, is Jesus at the very beginning of His ministry, just after the inauguration of His ministry. He goes into the desert for 40 days, and it was as if Satan said, Oh, you want to go to war against me? then play me one-on-one. Let's do one-on-one in the desert for 40 days. You fast, and I'm going to come after you. And so you have this 40-day battle between Satan and Jesus. And at every turn, Satan tries to distract Jesus. He tries to tempt Jesus. And he gives all of these offers and all of these confusion things. And, And he tries to derail Jesus from his ultimate purpose of bringing victory. And every time that Satan establishes something, every time that Satan attacks Jesus in a certain way, every single time, all that Jesus did is he quoted another scripture. And it was just as if he just kept walking through that desert, swinging the sword of the Spirit and cutting down every argument, every vain imagination, everything that Satan had put in front of him. And every single time he quoted scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says this, that the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That word active in Hebrews 4.12 is actually where we get our word energy from. Same root word. The Word is active and it has energy. And so what Hebrews 12 says is that when you quote this, when you read this, when you speak this out loud, what you are doing is you are releasing energy. You are releasing the energy of God. You are releasing the power of God. This Word has energy in your life. And so what we are called to do as the children of God is we are called to go around releasing, declaring, proclaiming, and praying God's Word in places that aren't aligned with God's Word. And every place where you see someone's life is not aligned with the Word of God, you can preach or you can proclaim the Word of God over their lives. So here are some practical examples how to do that. And I think every believer should memorize probably five scriptures. If you just memorize five scriptures, you would be an incredible warrior. You would be adept at using the Word of God. So, for example, if there is somebody in your life, yourself, someone else, who is dealing with financial need, and all you need to do is you just need to say, hey, God's Word says that He shall provide all of our needs according to His riches and glory. And so right now, I speak those words into this person's life. Right now, I proclaim the provision of God in this person's life. I speak the truth of provision in this person's life. I release the provision of God over every area of this person's life, over their paycheck, over their job, over their household bills. I just proclaim the provision of God. One time when I was pastoring in D.C., we were invited to this lady's house. Um, she just got a new apartment or a new house, and she asked us to pray over it. So we go to the house, and we're praying over it. And for some reason, I decided to lay my hands on the fridge. I just felt attracted to the fridge, as I often do. So I was attracted to the fridge. I lay my hands on it and just pray, pray provision over the fridge. A couple years later, she said to me, do you know what, Dennis? So prior to you coming over, I struggled to always have food in my house. And since you prayed that prayer, my fridge has never once been empty. And so we can speak the Word of God into that. 
if somebody is dealing with health issues and sickness, then we can say, hey, the Word of God says that by His stripes we are healed. So I am going to proclaim healing over this person's body. And you may pray that day in and day out, but you just stand there as a warrior and you come against sickness and you come against infirmity and you just say, in the name of Jesus, we are healed. By His stripes we are healed. So I release that into this person's life. And if you know of, of not just an individual, but a group of people or a certain illness, you can just pray healing. I pray healing according to God's Word because your Word says that by your stripes we are healed. If you or somebody you know is going through a difficult thing, if a student is struggling to succeed or to excel, or if somebody's struggling on their job or they're in a tough marriage and they're about to give up, you can say, wait, God, your word says that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So if we can do all things, then I pray for this person that your strength would enable them and equip them to be able to do what they can't do otherwise. And in the name of Jesus, I release your strength, your power, Power, your might, your endurance into this person's life. And in any moment and in any time where they're discouraged and they're thinking about giving up, I pray, God, that you would remind them that they can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. If there's somebody who's dealing with anxiety and fear and they're awake at night and they can't quit worrying, then you say, God, your word says that you will give us peace that passes all understanding. And so I speak peace. I proclaim peace into this person's life. And I pray every time that, that that anxiety rises up from their belly and begins to take hold of their heart, I just pray that peace would come against that. And I do battle in the name of Jesus Christ against fear and anxiety. And I come against that fear and anxiety in the name of Jesus Christ. And I release peace over them. If somebody is needing direction, if somebody needs to make a decision, you can say, God, Your Word says... That if anyone lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who will give liberally to them. So I release wisdom into this person's life right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I proclaim wisdom over them. That every question that they're asking would be answered. Every direction that they're considering, they would know exactly which direction to go. And that God, your word would be a lamp unto their feet and they would know the next step in the path. I pray that. If somebody is dealing with shame and failure and judgment and, and regret and looking back on their life, then we can say, wait, God, you tell us that we can boldly approach your throne of grace and that there is therefore no more shame and no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I just pray mercy and grace into this person's life. And the lies of shame and the spirits of guilt that are holding this person in darkness and holding this person in shame, I release them from that hold and from that bondage. And I pray the mercy of God to so overwhelm them, to so convince them that they would realize, Father, that You have thrown their sins as far as the east is from the west and You have thrown their sins into the ocean and that they are no more. I pray that they would know that, God, and they would know that to the core of their being. That is what it means to do battle. And that's what it means to use the sword of the Spirit to bring people's freedom. Those were like five Scriptures. And that's all you need. Most problems will fall into one of those five categories. And that's all I'm asking you to do. Memorize five scriptures. And every time you come across a person or a life scenario that falls into one of those categories, then you just stand and say, I'm going to war with the Word of God and use the sword of the Spirit to bring about freedom into people's lives. In the absence of that, if the Word of God 
is not being proclaimed, then how will they ever hear? How will they ever know? Who will fight on their behalf if it's not us? We do not have the option to play defense when we have people every day dying and who will spend eternity apart from God. We don't have the option to play defense when marriages are falling apart and children are being left fatherless. We do not have the option of playing defense when our children's bodies are being maimed by this sexual agenda. We don't have the option of playing defense. We don't have the option of playing defense when millions of young women and young men are being traded for sex. We don't have the option of just playing defense. We are called to do war. We have been equipped to do war. And today I want you to take up the full armor of God and to stand against us. Call the worship team forward. God, I thank you that you have equipped us. I thank you, God, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. I thank you, God, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I thank you, God that you've given us the keys of the kingdom. And so I pray today, and as a result of this series and a result of the things we've been talking about, that God, there would be a fire lit within our heart. A passion, God. God, for those in this room who have kind of felt helpless about what was going on in somebody's life or helpless about a situation that was happening. I, I pray that today's message would bring them hope. That they go, oh, wait a second. There are weapons that I can use in this battle. I'm going to invite our prayer ministry team to come forward. We're going to go into the reflection and response time of our service and and what this time is, is for is just us to respond to whatever God has done in our life or the Holy Spirit has spoken into our life. And that may have been something that God spoke to you this week, completely independent of what happened here. And you say, hey, I, I need to follow up on what God has spoken into my life. Or maybe this morning God has shared something with you, has tweaked or twinged your heart. And you say, i got to respond to that. If you're here today and there's emotional, physical, any type of stress or battle going on in your life, we're here to do battle with you. At the back of the room, we have communion elements in the basket if you want to take communion. But this is our opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. Worship team is going to lead us in this song, so if you would stand with me. And let's go into this uh, time of response and respond, however it is that God's calling you to respond. Let's stand, sing this song, come forward for prayer if you need it. Uh, receive communion. The elements are in the baskets at the back.